0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. So if you're just joining us, we're we're spending some time in the book of Matthew, kind of taking our time through this book, uh, taking a few breaks here and there. We'll take another break during Christmas and do uh, sort of an Advent series, Uh, but we are just wanting to um, sort of marinate in this book for a couple years now, or, or a couple years is what we're after. And a big part of this is because we, a church, is all about Jesus, and so we want to uh, continue to learn and grow and know who this Jesus is, because the, the desire that Matthew ultimately has is not that you just kind of gain knowledge about who this person is, but he's inviting you to follow him. And it's not just inviting you to follow him, he's inviting you to, to give your life to him, to become an apprentice of Jesus. And he's just trying to lay before you who this person is, and, and we learned this a few weeks ago with uh, when Brian was preaching here that you know Matthew's writing all of this after you know, the resurrection, so it's just not like you know he's not writing this you know real time like passing all these things out. No, he's writing this post-resurrection, and there's so much that he's like putting together that he wasn't putting together when he was dealing with it in real time. It's uh, it's kind of like you know learning that your best friend Spider-Man. I'm saying, like, just think about if you learned your best friend Spider-Man. There's so many things like, oh, yeah, now that makes sense. This is where you went. This is what you were doing. Oh, goodness gracious, you're making all these kind of connections that you weren't able to make in real time. That's what Matthew's doing. I mean, he's making some connections here that he never made in the moment when they were happening. And we see this a lot in chapters 8 and 9 because these are more narratives. They're non-miracles that are recorded for Matthew in these uh, two chapters here. And all he's trying to do is just trying to help us see, like, all right, who is this person? What kind of human is Jesus? And not only is he trying to help us understand who he is, he's also wanting us uh, to kind of get a window in the very heart of who Jesus is. So that's what we're trying to do in, in these two chapters over these last few weeks and, and hopefully by God's grace he's um, helped you see some new things about the very character and the nature of Jesus and maybe you've seen it in fresh ways. Even old truths has kind of come alive to you. And so hopefully you'll see that this morning. That's kind of what I'm after too and I'll explain that here in just a few minutes. All right? Uh, so when we stand together in honor of reading God's word, starting in chapter 9, the, the passage is in your bulletin. We're going to stop actually at verse 13, um, you know, this is part of preaching, you got to kind of figure out where, what you want to go for uh, in, a, in, a, in a message and even though 14 through 17 fit the whole uh, of this little text um, just because of time. I feel like it's kind of a can of worms that's hard to kind of clean up. And so if you've got uh, questions about those last three verses, I'd love to have conversations about what I believe um, the Lord is teaching us there, what Matthew's trying to get across there. Uh, But we're just focusing on uh, the first 13 verses this morning. So hear the word of the Lord. So he, obviously referring to Jesus, uh, got into a boat. He, He crossed over and came to his hometown or his own town. And just then some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher and seeing their faith jesus told the paralytic have courage son your sins are forgiving and at this some of the scribes uh, religious leaders of this time said to themselves he's blaspheming and perceiving their thoughts jesus said to them why, why are you thinking evil things in your hearts for which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. So he got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were were awestruck, and they gave glory to God. Who had given such authority to men? And as Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a toll booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And while he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And now when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not for those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would speak to us, Lord, that possibly a familiar passage may surprise us. Um, May your spirit come and and, um, engage our hearts, Lord with the beauty of jesus christ that we would just be overwhelmed with how wonderful and patient and kind and gracious he is so that we would be drawn to give our lives completely to you we ask these things in jesus name amen you may be seated so here here's all i i want to do this morning i I think there's kind of um two kind of truths i want to bring out to have one big theme and that theme is the issue of forgiveness and here's uh, sort of the quote that's going to drive our message today, um, this, is, this is kind of in the background for me, and I want it to be in kind of the foreground right now for you, and then be in the background as we kind of work through this passage, because I think these, these two kind of stories have a theme of forgiveness, and um, uh, they're side-by-side they're side on purpose, and I'll, and I'll show that here in just a minute. But here's, here's sort of the quote that I want to, to guide us this morning. Forgiving is empowering. And just think about that for just a second. Sometimes when we put a quote up here. We we'll always read the whole quote, right? So it breaks. Linger a little bit. Forgiving is empowering. Forgiveness of sins is the engine of the Christian movement. Nothing moves us like assurance that we are fully pardoned by God. Nothing moves us like assurance that we are fully pardoned by God. So you may be familiar with this story if, if you read some of the other Gospels, because some of the other Gospel accounts um, add sort of a detail in this story that Matthew leaves out. And so, you know, the story as we read here in, in verses 1 and 2, there's these four guys that are carrying this paralyzed man on a mat, and they want to get to Jesus as quickly and possibly, you know, as fast as they possibly can. Because they knew something about Jesus, enough to know that, hey, I think Jesus can heal our buddy, so we got to do whatever we can to get him in, the, you know, in front of Jesus. And if you'll remember, in the, in the other gospel accounts, they, uh, there's, a, there's a roof that they have to kind of tear up in order to get him in front. That's the same story. It's not a different story. It's the same story that Matthew's recording. But Matthew chooses to leave out that detail. Why? I mean, I don't know about you, but that's kind of a big detail for me. It's like, that... that That kind of really preaches, you know, they did whatever they could in order to get their friend in front of Jesus. So much so, they're they're cutting a hole in a roof to get him down there. So why, why is Matthew leaving out that detail? Well, I think Matthew's wanting to emphasize something here, and specifically what he's wanting to emphasize is that Jesus has the authority to forgive. Or another way of saying that is Jesus can forgive you. I mean, look what they do here. So he got in a boat. Jesus crosses over the other side, here comes these men, verse 1 here, verse 1 and 2, uh, carrying this paralyzed man, and, and Jesus says, seeing their faith, faith, Jesus told the paralytic, you know, have courage, son, or this is a very, very tender language that Jesus is speaking to this uh, young man here, take care, little boy, not in a patronizing way, but in a very loving kind way there's something that jesus sees in the very heart of this man to where his words come out say, take care don't be afraid little boy your sins are forgiven and at this verse 3 some of the scribes religious leaders teachers of the law people like me that's what makes me feel really nervous about this text sometimes it's like man please god help me not to be so blind which i probably am but verse 3 says some of the scribes and teachers of the law said he's blaspheming I Mean he's claiming I mean, he's claiming to be God. No one else can forgive sins other than God. And they're like, like freaking out. I mean, Jesus just looks like a normal human being, and here he is, telling this guy, your sins are forgiven. And these guys are going, Wow, this is this is craziness. And and, and sometimes we we give the Pharisees a little bit of a bad rap. But we if we were really in the moment here and understood what was going on, they would, we would say the same thing. Jesus just looked like a normal guy. It would be like, you know, us, you know, going across the road and it's sort of, you know, we've got two neighbors that are arguing about something. I don't know, maybe they're arguing about, you know, a tree fell in somebody's yard, and they're having a massive fight on who's going to pay for the tree and clean it all up. And if you would go over there and just say, hey, guys, your sins are forgiven. Or if you would go over there and just say, hey, I forgive you. Like, that just wouldn't go really well, right? I know my neighbors, they'd probably lay some choice words toward me, right? It's like, get the blankety-blank out of my yard, whatever. It's like, who in the world do you think you are? And that's in, se- in essence what's going on here. Who does Jesus think he is when he's offering forgiveness to this guy? And so Jesus being God, as we see in verse 4, he kind of perceives their thoughts, and he says this, why are you thinking evil things in your hearts for which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. This is not a trick question. This is an easy answer. You know, not... Not what is easier to do, what is easier to say. It's easier for us to say your sins are forgiven. Why is that easy to say? Because no one can verify it. That's an, it's, a, it's an interior kind of world environment that's going on inside of people. You can't verify whether their sins are forgiven because you can't see it. So what's easier? It's easier to say, you know, your sins are forgiven. But to prove to you that I have the power and the authority, and that's where the little word can comes from this morning, That Jesus can forgive you of your sins. To prove to you that I have the power and authority to do both. Not either or. I'm going to say to this man, get up and walk. And by me saying to this man, get up and walk, then it's going to verify that what I said at the beginning is also true. And that's what we see in verse 6. These are not empty words, but so that you may know. And so that we may know. That the Son of Man has the authority right? And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Authority is a theme that goes all throughout chapters eight and nine. He comes off the Sermon on the Mount and what everybody say about Jesus teaching. Say it out loud. What do they say? Okay, great. Super. That's right. Here, let me help you out. It's not a trick question either, right? Am I trying to slide an answer and make you feel stupid for answering out loud? No, they say, what kind of man is this? He's got authority to teach. Like, we've never seen this before. We've never heard this before. It's really unique. We've heard a lot of teaching in our lifetime, but nothing like this. This guy is major authority He goes down and starts healing people even a gentile recognizes something about the very power and the authority of his word that he goes to him and say hey, look my servant's not here you don't deserve to come in my house he lives in another town just say the word and he'll be healed he says the word and what what happens the man at that moment gets healed because he has power he has authority he has authority over demons we, we saw last week he gets in a boat he takes a nap big massive storm shows up he just stands up said calm down And the waves have no other choice than to obey the very words of Jesus because Jesus is the one that has created the waves. He's created the sea. He has authority over that. And not only does he have authority over diseases, over nature, he also has authority over demons. Demonic powers have to obey the very voice of the word of Jesus. And so it's almost like Matthew now kicks it up a notch. He's also got... Authority to forgive sins. So that you may know that the Son of Man, verse 6, has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. And what happens? Verse 7. So he got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were what? Awestruck and gave glory to God, who had given such, there's our word again, authority to men. So think about this. What, what, is, what is Matthew trying to do here? right? Why, or another way of saying this, why, why, is, why does Jesus look at this paralyzed man and say, your sins are forgiven? What's, why is that the first thing he says to this man? This is, this is the first time, in, and I'm trying to do my fact check this week, I think this is the only time in the Gospel of Matthew that he first says this first before he heals the person. I and mean, we see this even in chapter 8. I mean, he doesn't say this to the leper. He just heals the leper immediately. He doesn't say this to the centurion's servant. He heals the servant. He doesn't say this to Peter's mother-in-law. You know, he didn't go to, say, hey, your sins are forgiven. Boom, your fever's gone too. No, he just, he just like touches her. And so does that mean these three other people are sinless? That they didn't have a need for their sins to be forgiven? No, that's not what's going on there. Yeah, they had the needs for their sins to be forgiven also. So what, what's going on here? Why, why does Jesus first say this paralytic Your sins are forgiven. I don't know about you guys, but if I'm the four guys, I might be a little disappointed, right? It's like we didn't bring him here to kind of like deal with his sins. He's got something else going on. You know, he's got, he can't walk, you know, like that's why we brought him here. But the paralyzed man doesn't object. So I think what's happening here is that Matthew is trying to help us understand and see that yes, a part of the mission of Jesus is to heal our physical bodies. It is to bring physical healing to us. And we'll see this even next week. And there's a, there's a greater thing that Jesus is trying to do here, point forward He's trying to do here with healing our physical bodies. But at the same time, guys, we've got to remember, there are hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that were not healed. He didn't heal everyone. That Jesus came in contact with, he didn't. And so yes, a part of the mission of Jesus is to heal our physical bodies. But I think what Matthew's trying to help us see here is that he's also here first and foremost to heal something that's going on in the depths of our souls. Our souls are sick. Which sometimes leads to our own physical bodies being sick. So please, don't, don't hear me say this. Just because you, you know, if you got up this morning with a virus, it's not because you sinned yesterday, right? You know, if I'm throwing up, uh, I use some foul language. I, I deserve it, right? And that's not what I'm saying, nor is that what Jesus is saying here. But I do think this, guys, look. Some commentators say the reason why he says, hey, your sins are forgiven first is because possibly, possibly the guilt of this man's sin is so great that it created a paralysis in his own life. That he got to a point where he couldn't even move, get out of bed. And so if you don't use it, you're going to what? Lose it? And so he lost his physical body's ability to walk because of the weight and guilt of sin had brought paralysis in his life. Our soul sickness affects our body. Read Psalm 32. When David sins against Bathsheba, what he said, I kept silent, and what was going on in him? His bones ached. You ever been there? You ever been a place where the guilt and the shame of your sin keeps you from sleeping? Causes you to throw up? Makes you sick? Unwilling to eat? Maybe causes depression? Like... That's what goes on. Our bodies and our souls are so interconnected. And what Matthew is trying to help us see here is that where does true healing begin? It first and foremost begins with our souls being healed because what is the greatest healing that needs to happen to all of humanity is that our relationship with God needs to be restored back. And what is the barrier that's keeping our relationship with God from being restored back? It's the sins, our sins, not someone else's sins our sins and so yes yes jesus could have rolled in here and said get up buddy that's what he could have first said and this guy could have got up walked home and been filled with joy amen right can you imagine that like for the majority of his life not being able to walk someone says it like oh okay man i mean i just the kind of joy and euphoria that he would feel because of that But where would this guy be in six months? Where would this guy be in a year? What will cure and heal the deep discontent that is present in his own soul and that is present in our souls? If all he did was give him physical healing, he's shortchanging the greatest need that this individual has and the greatest need that you have. I mean, think about it, guys. There are millions and millions of able-bodied people in our world that are absolutely miserable in life. There are millions of people who have more money than us, who are way more attractive than us, who have physical fitness that's like beyond, way, way beyond most of us in this room. I'm not trying to... Make might feel really bad, but way beyond me in this room, right? But there's unrest. There's deep discontent. I watched uh, Dennis Rodman's little uh, documentary this week, 30 for 30. Anybody watch that on ESPN? Yeah, you should. It was very... Um, very moving and um very sad to be honest with you i mean those guys who produce 30 for 30 are are phenomenal storytellers i mean really very really talented people and i remember him back in the 90s i do um i wasn't a big bulls fan but i was a jordan fan gosh he was phenomenal to watch play but at the end of this, and I don't, I don't think I'm spoiling anything for you, and I'm just to really encourage it, if it comes back on ESPN this week that you take some time to watch it. At the, at the end of this, um, here's what Dennis Rodman said, and, I, and I'm probably butchering her quote a little bit, but in essence, this is what he said. This is at the end of the whole documentary. I'm probably one of ten people that wherever I go to in the whole entire world, I'm known. Now maybe that sounds a little arrogant, but once you watch the video, you're going, yeah, that's probably true. That he's one of ten people in the world, that no matter where he goes in the world, he is known. And here's what he said. You'd think I'd be happy. And then he starts weeping. And then it ends. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul. Like, I don't don't know Dennis Rodman's story and I'm not trying to cast any major judgment on him. Who knows what God's doing in his life and who he's bringing around him. But here's what I'm reminded of is that there's a, a, a deep sickness in all of us. That we can gain the whole world. And if that that the sickness that's within our souls is not healed. There will always be deep discontent. So this is where healing begins. Jesus has come to do a deeper healing in the depths of our souls and to restore us back into right relationship with God. Jesus can forgive you And for those who have been brought up in church, that may just sound like Charlie Brown's teacher, blah, 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 blah. But hear this. Jesus can forgive you. He has the authority and the power to do so. Which in and of itself is good news, but I would say what is even better news than that is not only does Jesus have the authority to heal. Forgive you, not only can he forgive you, listen to me. He wants to, he he longs to, like he desires to. No one's like forcing his hand. Ah, oh, that's what I gotta do. I created these creatures, they're so annoying, they're so demanding. I'm God, that's what God's supposed to do. Like, I'm being really extreme here, but I I think, man, if we're just really trying to unpack a little bit what's going on inside of us at times, I think that's kind of what we think, that that's God's job to forgive us. So, yes, He has the power and the authority to forgive your sins, but look at me, man, He wants to. He longs to. He desires to. And that's why I think Matthew brings his story in, right? It's not random. It's not like just random. No, Matthew is thinking about his own story of how Jesus rescued him. How Jesus did a work in his life. And he talks about this, this power and authority that Jesus can forgive. And then all of a sudden it's like, this is a great place to put my story. Because he wants to forgive you. I didn't know if he wanted to forgive me. I'm a wretched guy. But here, let me put my story in there to show you that He longs to forgive you. I mean, look what He says here in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth. And He said to him, Follow me. And Matthew got up and He followed him. Now if, you're, you, know, if you understand a little bit about the Bible, you recognize that tax collectors... In that time were hated, and they they still are a little bit today, right? None of us have kind words toward the IRS. It's not like, oh, I love that people, I love that organization, thank God for that. I mean we don't like, oh, some tax money, and I'm not very happy with the IRS right now, right? So I'm paying a little bit every month. But look, even in this day, it's just like upped way, way worse than that. They 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 were collaborating with uh, the powers there that just they hated power. They were in collaboration with them. And then not only that, but they were just, they were cheating their own people. Because, you know, as long as they, they gave Rome whatever dollar amount they wanted for certain areas, they could charge whatever they wanted to. And they did. So they're getting rich and bank on their own people. I mean, these guys were hated. There was no kind words toward tax collectors like Matthew. And even as we move on, we remember like the, what the, the, the religious leaders, they, they said sinners, tax collectors and sinners. Isn't it interesting that those two are separated? Why is that? Is it because tax collectors are not sinners? No. It's because sinners in this time who knew they were sinners did not want to be known as tax collectors. That's how, that's how low they were. That's how, they, how much they were hated. Like You don't want to be known as a tax collector, so separate me out. Yeah, I know I'm the scum of the society, but I'm not that bad, right? then Jesus shows up and knows all of this about Matthew. And he said, follow me. This is an invitation that's all grace, has nothing to do with Matthew's life, has nothing to do with anything he's done to be worthy of this. He shows up, Jesus shows up, he says, follow me. And it's like a resurrection happened in Matthew's life in that moment. And then look what happens. He goes to Matthew's house and... Has a big party with a bunch of his friends. Look what happens there in verse 10. And while he was reclining at the table in the house, and you've got to remember, this is, you know, this is not like 21st century eating a meal. They don't have tables and chairs. You know, this is a very intimate setting. They're all laying down. They've got pillows. The table's a little smaller. They're eating probably from a, a common bowl where there's a whole lot of double dipping going on where you rip a piece of bread off and you dip it in there. Nobody's using hand sanitizer in this time. And they're unclean. They're nasty. They don't have like even... I mean, it's just, they just are. I mean, it probably would make us vomit if we were in there at that time. But this is what's going on. This is a very intimate setting. And to eat with someone, is you're, you're, you're identifying with them. Think about that. Who is Jesus? He's Emmanuel. God with us, eating in a very intimate setting with people that I don't even know if we would eat with them. Or, you know, I don't know if I would eat with them. I'm not going to project that on you. So I always recline at the table in the house, meeting tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples, and I'm almost positive disciples were kind of freaking out, going, what in the world's going on here? And I'm really uncomfortable, Jesus, but you don't seem very uncomfortable, so I, I'm, I'm with you, right? I, I'm kind of reading into that, but I'm sure the disciples were freaking out too. And so in verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked their disciples, like, don't even ask Jesus, ask the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What, what's going on here? Right? Why, does your, why does your teacher eat with this kind of scum of society? And I know sometimes when we read this, we, you know, we look at the, you know, the religious leaders of this time as the bad guys, like it's, that's instinctive in us. If you've been in church, like they're the evil people, we don't like them, but, but, but look, look, if, if we were living in this time, right, there's a whole lot of passages of scripture in the old Testament. that will be going like, whoa, hold on here. What about this? What about this? Hey, this little passage, I, like there's all kinds of little red lights going off in their head. I mean, we give them kind of a bad rap, but you, I, I kind of understand why they're saying this. You go to Psalm one. Here's one. I mean, there's many of them, right? Psalm 1.1 says this, what? Blessed is the man who does not what, walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or seat, sit in the seat of mockers. I don't know about you, but that looks like he's kind of standing and sitting. You know, Psalm 25, verses 4 through 5. This is a psalmist here saying, I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I don't know about you. This seems like a bunch of evildoers and Jesus is there. This seems like a bunch of people who are wicked and Jesus is sitting with them. And so Jesus is saying, like, I'm God in the flesh. That's who I am. I'm a little mixed up. What is going on? We would have the same question here. But in reality, what these men are doing is they're missing um, kind of the lens that we need to see through in order to understand texts like this in their right context. They are they are they're up you know uh, embracing the letter of the law, so to speak, and not really taking into account the very spirit of the law. And that's why Jesus responds to them in verse 12 when he says this. Now when he heard this, even though they're not talking to Jesus, he still hears them. It's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. So why is Jesus eating with sinners to answer his question? This is what Jesus would say. I see my mission as a doctor. I am here to heal people. That's why I exist. I see myself as a doctor who's come to heal the sick. And anyone in their right mind understands this. If you're a doctor and if you're trying to stay away from sick people, then you can't do your job. Can you imagine showing up to your doctor's office and going, hey, man, no, sorry, buddy. We only, we only serve well people. <laughs> like, how crazy is that? I'm sorry, yeah. yeah. You have to go down the street, maybe. Maybe that doctor's office is not seeing the light. You know, they might still take you in, but dude, we, we only do well visits here. Right? It's like, then what's your point of existence, right? That's, so in eating with Matthew and his buddies, Jesus isn't minimizing the gravity or the weight of their sin. He's not condoning their sin. He's not going to them, thumbs up, I'm all on board with your lifestyle. No, he's helping us see this is why I've come. Embracing and showing love and kindness does not equal endorsement. And that's why we see him say this in verse 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners. So, in all of your ritualistic obedience, this trying to stay clean, you're missing the very heart of God. What trumps all this is mercy. I desire mercy not your discipline. I desire mercy, not your 15 Bible studies that you go to throughout the week. I desire mercy, not your getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and working through a prayer sheet and reading through the Bible throughout the year. And all of those are really, really important and they're huge in our own maturity and formation. But listen to me, if they're void of mercy, then you're missing the very heart of God. Mercy means compassion, a willingness to help, being generous, charitable, forgiving. So follow this. With Jesus calling Matthew, who is a tax collector, right? And eating with his friends, we're just seeing something about the heart of God that we have a tendency to miss or even overlook. That God's instinctual response or God's reflex to sin is not judgment and wrath. I'll say that again, and hear this. We're seeing something about the very heart of God because why? Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's the, the perfect impression. The Not just the impression, he's the embodiment of God himself on this earth. And we're seeing something about the heart of God here. And that heart is this, is that God's instinctual response, his reflex to sin is not judgment and wrath. Instead, it's grace and mercy. And we can make a... I mean, I can work through the entire Bible, right, and show you this truth over and over that sometimes we forget. I mean, think about Adam and Eve. When they sinned, what happened first? What happened first? God asked a question. And it wasn't because he wasn't very good at the game hide and seek, right? Where are you, Adam? That's a question of grace and mercy going after him. You think about Noah and the flood. I mean, it's an area where we, when we think about that, we think God's wrath and anger towards sin. But it was 100 plus years before he ever did it. And in essence, he's saying, man, hey, look, this is what's coming. I don't want to do this. I love you. Please repent. Come back. You think about the nation of Israel, hundreds upon hundreds of years of rebellion. Jesus sent him prophet after prophet after prophet saying come back come back come back and then what we see here with jesus that he invites himself over to matthew's house to share a meal with him and all of his sinful buddies that's god his instinctive his reflex towards sin is not wrath and judgment it's grace it's mercy So Jesus has the authority the power to forgive you and and he wants to. He longs to. He desires to. And hopefully for some of us in this room this is a a profound word of hope to the bruised, to the broken the sinful, to those that may be ashamed here this morning, to those who may have even hit rock bottom. God is overflowing with mercy and compassion. You may have burned a ton of bridges, and you made have brought a lot of pain on a lot of people. And I'm not trying to minimize your sin. and I'm not trying to minimize the pain of other people. And God's not trying to minimize your sin. But here's what he is saying this. Even though they may have written you off, listen to me, God is not... God has not written you off because of your sin. No matter how great you think it is, no matter how much pain you may have caused other people, God has not written you off because of your sin, and you can come exactly as you are right now. Right now. You see, that's that's what the Pharisees would object to. When Jesus goes, hey, you need to go and learn... Mercy, right? Go and learn this, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The Pharisees would object and say, look, we, we're merciful. we are you talking about, God? we are you talking about, Jesus? We're merciful. Anytime that Matthew wanted to clean up his life, we're there. Anytime that Matthew was ready to repent of all of his sins, give back to where he cheated people, we're there. Anytime that Matthew was ready to change his life and begin to follow God, we are there. We'll we'll move toward him. We'll have arms open wide. He is welcomed in. So as long as he meets our criteria, if he would change, then you better believe it. We're merciful. But that's the difference, isn't it? Jesus welcomes Matthew and he welcomes all of us. Think about your own story with open arms long before any of us ever met any criteria other than being a sinner. That's why Matthew butts his story up here. Yes, Jesus can forgive your sins, and he wants to. And there's no strings. It's like, Matthew, as long as you do X, Y, and Z, as long as you make sure all this gets, no. Matthew, come follow me. I know your past. I know your story. I know all the sins that you've done. I know how you've cheated these people. I know how arrogant, prideful, whatever. He knows the whole thing. And it never stopped him from inviting him. My prayer, man, that's a, a profound sense of hope that you feel this morning. That you can move to Jesus as you are because Jesus... Is moving toward you. He's not waiting around. He can. And he longs to. So, not only is it a profound sense of hope, I, I pray you also, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ in this room, that you hear kind of a word of warning. Don't let our pursuit of godliness and formation and holiness these are all really really good pursuits that we need to be chasing after but do not let our pursuit of those things cause us to miss the very heart of who god is and how do i know if i'm missing the heart of god how do i know if i'm missing kind of the heartbeat of god well here's how you know how do you treat people that are really different from you i mean really how do you treat people that are morally messed up than you, that are, that are way scandalous than you, that don't have the same views as you have, the same desires that you have, the same understandings about God as you have. Like, how do you treat them? Is your reflex mercy? Or is your reflex harshness, criticism, anger? Get your stuff together. Come on. If that's the case, then you may be one who really doesn't understand the heart of God. Then you can be so steeped in the Bible, which is the revelation of who God is, and actually miss his heart. That's a really dangerous place to be. So maybe what you need to hear today is that you need to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus can, and he wants to forgive. So if you're not a Christian here, then I just want to encourage you with this. And I know I say this every week because I, I expect and I pray and hope there are some people here who are not followers of Jesus Christ. You're, you're welcomed here. And I pray you feel that. Hope you don't feel shame or set aside or kind of singled out in any way. I pray that you're, you feel like your, your questions, your struggles, your doubts are welcomed here. But my encouragement for you this morning is that you would receive this forgiveness. This is what your soul aches for. There is a a real power that's available to you when you know you're fully pardoned. And it has nothing to do with what you can or cannot do. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done. That in and through Him you can be completely and fully forgiven. Put back into a relationship with God and be at home with Him. And that can happen today. And we always have leaders that are in the back. They have like a lanyard on. They... Look, there's no like weird pressure here. They're not going to put you in a headlock and pray this prayer, you know, or I'm going to come down on you. No, it's just more of a conversation that they would love to have with you about what it means to be a follower of Christ. So if you're not a Christian, my encouragement for you is that you would receive this forgiveness today. If you're a Christian here, I think there's all kinds of ways we can bring some application to it. And I've talked a little bit about it in our own warning. But here's the positive note, and I just want to, encourage us here that maybe we can learn to rest in this forgiveness? I think guilt over sin still brings paralysis in our life. Longtime followers of Jesus Christ are still dealing with enslavement. We would say I'm not really free. I don't know about you, maybe there's a specific sin in your past that that you kind of know you're forgiven, but you kind of don't and it just keeps coming back because it's really hard for you to believe that God can forgive this. And even though you don't know it, you might actually be doing things now to kind of sort of pay for that sin that you did in the past. Rest. You're forgiven. Completely pardoned. I'll end with this quote. A person rests in the forgiveness of sins when your thought of God does not remind you of your sins, but rather of the fact that they have been forgiven. So that what has happened in the past is now a, not a remembrance of how badly you did, not, you did then, but of how much you are forgiven. Forgiveness closes the past and opens the door to a new future. Jesus has the authority to set your life in a whole new direction, and He wants to. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury, and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com slash JTown.